Welcome to Tear Out the Tags, the podcast brought to you by Embolden Label, a space where you will learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how individual and extraordinary you are. I'm your host, B. Evans, here to take you on a journey to live emboldened within yourself and embolden others along the way. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome, and happy Friday. I'm so excited to get into today's episode. And the reason is this tag is very important, and it is intuition. Now, after making a series of bad decisions, with one leading to a friend being shot and killed, Sunil Godsey spent thousands of hours on research and interviews to stop people from wasting time making bad decisions by sharpening their intuition. Now, Sunil and I have had a chance to talk about this once before, and I have to admit that intuition is not something that I tend to listen to, and I have a feeling that's why Sunil is going to share his amazing message today. So welcome to the show, Sunil. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm going to hopefully drop some great knowledge bombs on this intangible thing that's called intuition. Uh, and really get my discovery on how it's kind of rooted in science and the reasons why we ignore it. And that's how we waste bad decisions. And by the time your listeners are finished with this podcast, they will have the tools to start listening to their intuition each and every single time. That sounds great. You know, I was thinking about this just preparing for today. And I think there were three things that I came up with of why I don't trust my gut. And the first really is being worried I'm going to let someone down, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to disappoint somebody, which is the people pleaser inside of me. And then the second I think is, you know, you've made a commitment and after the fact you get that gut check. And so then you feel guilty because you've already committed. It's you're already in. And the third being, I'd find myself arguing with my gut, like, you know, almost reasoning with it. Like, I know that the decision is there. I know what I need to do. But in my head, I'm, I say, no, I'm sure everything will be okay. And, you know, usually we know how that results. So is that pretty common that you you know, in your research that you find? Yeah, that's very common. And for a number of reasons, what happens when we're, when we don't trust our intuition is a lot of us are living in the past. So for example, we had some kind of traumatic event in the past and we're emotionally stuck at that event. And so we kind of need either therapy and I use hypnotherapy for my one-on-ones to get them out of that. And so you don't minimize what's happened in the past. You sort of just appreciate it, but then you emotionally move on so that you can kind of move on. One of the things that you were talking about is again, looking at the opinions of others. So perhaps uh, you're listening to people who don't have the intention of really kind of moving your life forward. It's kind of about what they think you should be doing. In some cases, somebody makes a comment in the past and it just, it throws you into a dizzy. And for, for some reason, that one sentence affects your whole life. And I had one interviewee that uh, I interviewed and she was in high school and it was somebody made some comment about her weight. She had, there was no problems. Like everything was normal. One comment about her weight and she got into drugs and alcohol and just, it really tumbled her. And the other thing is, so, so when we kind of live like that, or we're trying to prove something to somebody or prove something to society of who we are, or we should be, or, you know, show up, I got to wear this mask. 
we expend so much energy doing that. And what we don't do is we live in the present. So when we talk about living in the present moment, as, as easy as it is with intuitive signals, and we'll talk about the intuitive signals, many of us are living in the past. And so when we're living in the past, our values are switched to other people, to other situations. We don't go through our own values. And in some cases, it's frightening because we've never given that permission to ourselves to live in that moment, to live based on our intuition in my, it, you know, from my perspective yeah. and to take the steps that are meant for us. And we often worry about what others are going to think. Am I going to fail? Is this really right for me? And that, that fear starts coming in Yeah. and then we don't do it. Right. And we don't do it. And then we just, we start to regret and, you know, 20 years down the line, we regret, but we should be regretting the next 10 minutes that you couldn't take that decision. The next five minutes, like well, our, think, our regrets are today, right? I think that regret has almost become like a welcomed acceptance in our world. I know at least for me, I was in a career that didn't really serve who I was as a person, but I yeah. didn't really know how unhappy I was. And I wouldn't really say even now that I was unhappy. I just didn't yeah. know how much more fulfilled I could be if I was just willing to move forward. And yeah. I think to your point, you know, our brains are actually wired to attach those labels of the past, those experiences, because they're sort of warning signals in our lives. So they, you know, we have a tendency to categorize things in places that we believe we know they belong, which really limits us from that forward motion that you're talking about. Yeah. And there's a couple of things, even if you're looking at what happens in the brain. So for example, if it's trauma or, you know, says somebody says something, I mean, your neurons just start that, like they get shocked, your brain gets shocked. And what happens, you got new neural pathways that form, and they just become the norm, you mm -hmm. know, when we listen to others, the same thing. And so one of the things I say, which may be con contrarian is that fear is kind of your best friend, because when you look at fear, and you have that uncomfortableness, if you look at neuroplasticity research, that's when the neurons are actually ready for new pathways. And it's at, and you know, it's the right one. And we'll get into the science of it. But it's your intuitive signal saying, yeah, this is the right path. Even though you're feeling fear, that's a good thing. And so when you move through that fear, the, the neurons are open and you're giving yourself permission to recreate a lot of some new neural pathways. But oftentimes when we don't, they go back to the old, old ways of doing things and we never actually move our life forward. Right. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think we need to dive into a little more of the story behind these bad decisions that you made, I actually don't know this story. So I'm excited to have you share it because I think it's really valuable in just the magnitude that can happen in our lives if we ignore that intuition. So when you were in a, this situation where your friend was shot and killed, tell me the story behind that. Yeah. So, so if we back that up a bit, my interest in intuition really came from my first book that I wrote called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster. Mm -hmm. And the, the premise in that book is that if I was to write stories of those executives and entrepreneurs who failed, then the idea is that if you read that book and you learned from the lessons of failure, then you should be able to succeed faster. Mm -hmm. And so when I used to be speaking on stages around the world, one of the things I kept getting asked is, okay, Sunil, please give me just the one thing. And I said, well, I didn't come here with a cue card or a PDF sheet. Like I'm here with a 400 page book. We uh, all want the easy road, don't we? <laughs> exactly. And so that's what I kept saying until I went back to the audio recordings. And when I went back to the audio recordings, 80 to 90% of these executives and entrepreneurs basically were using some form of, I ignored my intuition. Mm -hmm. I ignored my gut. I, I knew what the right decision was. And I said, wow, that's really incredible. And so 
I was trying to think about, okay, when did intuition kind of hit me? And so when I was five years old, I distinctly remember that there were these video games that I wanted my dad to buy and they were too expensive. And so there's this voice that was saying, Sunil, go door to raise money. And that's exactly what I went. I did. I went door to door. I raised $200, lots of milk and cookies mm -hmm. and $100 went to my dad for the video games. And the other $100 went to charity because I felt really good about that. And then when I reflected on the times that I ignored my intuition, for those seeing me who are just listening to podcasts, I'm a South Asian male. And so there's really kind of four career doors that you have. It's doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. And my intuition was egg egg egging me on to become the entrepreneur, which is door number four. But I drank the East Indian Kool-Aid and, uh, you know, my dad said, you're going to be an engineer. And so I became an engineer. He was an engineer mm. and I hated it. I was in a, a two-year career that I didn't like in year two of, of that career. I ended up becoming a private investor in a Mexican restaurant chain. And mm. pretty soon I was making five times more in dividends doing that than engineering. And so in year three, I, I mean, the dam had to break. My intuition was getting louder, yeah. saying move. And I finally decided to become an entrepreneur. And, and I did speak to my, I lost a relationship with my dad. But oh, you're kidding. Yeah, he didn't speak to me for a number of years. And five or six ventures later, I made close to about 20 million in revenues before moving on to become a management consultant. As a management consultant, I got this huge contract in Silicon Valley. It was amazing. And yet, when I kept getting the contract revisions, the terms started changing. And once again, my intuition was saying, Sunil, mm. you better back off. And I didn't. I ended up going down to Silicon Valley and spent every single penny to go down there. And the company didn't pay me. And I came back to Canada with 25 cents in my bank account. And the devastating situation you're alluding to was when I was in engineering in university, I was doing some personal coaching at the time. And a good friend of mine reached out to me to try and get some advice because she was being stalked at the time. Mm. And my intuition was saying, meet with her that afternoon. I didn't have anything on my agenda, but for some dumb reason, I said, let's meet a couple of days later. Uh, and that same fellow walked up to her at a bus shelter and put a bullet through her head and killed her instantly. And so now I really needed to figure out this thing called intuition right. because now I've lost some time, effort, money, and a really good friend. And so oh I gosh. really need to dig deep. Yeah. So I was really vested when I started thinking about it. So one of the things I struggled with early on was this a definition of intuition. I mm -hmm. couldn't pinpoint something. And I went online. And at that time, people were talking about it like manifestations from God. It was, you know, voice coming from the cosmos. And that's great for those who really kind of understand intuition from that perspective. Right. It, it, at that time, it didn't really resonate with me. Mm -hmm. So I went online, looked at some online dictionaries. That still didn't resonate with me. I remember in my social media circle, there was a, a Facebook friend I had who is an international psychic, and she talked about intuition and signals. And I said, okay, that makes sense to me. So let me go interview her. And so I took a film crew to go talk to her about intuition. And she characterized intuition with the signals and it and the signals being energetic in nature with quantum physics and all that. And that really resonated with me because I remember when I was in engineering, if you look at properties of steel, for example, steel has like a wave-like property and a mass-like property. Mm -hmm. And so that, that wave-like property is sort of the energy. And so I said, okay, that makes sense. So then I'm starting to think of intuition as being like an art and a science blend. But what this international psychic was saying is that there was little to no research in intuition because it just hasn't caught up with us yet. And I was just perplexed to say, okay, well, intuition's kind of affected me. 
And now I've got this book of executives who are, you know, think data learning experience, all talking about this intangible called intuition. That makes no sense that there's no science in it. Mm -hmm. So I think, okay, so who in my circle would I know that can give me a scientific explanation? And so there's this neurologist, Dr. Michelle Rathbone, that was in my circle. And I said, I'd like to come talk to you about intuition. He says, sure. And so I took a film crew and went to his hospital. And I thought this was going to be a five-minute conversation. I, I honestly <laughs> thought he was just going to hum and haw about intuition. I turned on the camera and asked him, does intuition exist? And he says, it absolutely does. We all have a sixth sense. He was talking about the neurons in the gut short-circuiting the brain. And Ooh, he was saying- interesting. Yeah. And he was saying more and more neuroscience research is coming out that showing that intuition acts much earlier than we're actually consciously aware of it. Mm. And so now I've got the art, I've got the science, and I'm happy with the definition. So now I needed to find out, okay, so where's this research that this neurologist is talking about? So I go to an academic database, I type in the word intuition, and I'm expecting you know, 10, 12 articles. I hit the enter key tens of thousands of articles on intuition. I was blown away by how many articles there were. And one of the things I used to think it was when intuition hit me when I was five years old, perhaps I was born with intuition. Right. And so there was this article that showed that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive tendencies or intuitive physics as this paper calls it. I think, and I think oftentimes you, you have, well, maybe not more intuition, but you're more likely to listen to your intuition when you're a child. And I think like, at least in my life, I think you almost unlearn listening to your intuition. Yeah, you do because we have all these other factors. And when it comes to kids, the way I look at it is like, we're kind of like bananas when we're older, uh, right? The fruit's inside, but we've got societal norms. We've got other people that we listen to. And we've got all these flaps above us that really kind of, it, it, it doesn't protect the fruit. And in this case, you know, it right. just really covers it. And right. so our intuition is really inside. And right. so that's kind of how I characterize it. You know, and, and kids are able to take risks. When we're older, we, we become a little bit less risky. It's, it's so interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking of my definition of intuition. Yeah. And I don't know that I really, prior to this conversation, my definition would have been just gut, period. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. just my gut. I don't can't explain it. I am a Christian, so I do, you know, I rely on decisions I make in my life through prayer and through yep. my spiritual lessons and learning. Yep. But this conversation really is making me kind of, like, you know, I love words. That's like all we do here. And I love labels. Yeah. And yeah. so I always try to hone down on my personal definition. And I think it's important for everyone listening to really be hearing that this definition is really important that they understand their intuition because yeah. simply calling it my gut, that's probably why I'm partially ignoring it because it's not really a sophisticated reasoning behind, behind yeah. that word. Yeah. And I, one of the primary reasons why it's so tough to find a definition and why I found it tough to definition, define a definition. And if you look at the people I've interviewed for my podcast series, every, almost every definition is different. I mean, there's some mm -hmm. ones that are close. They use gut, voice, feeling, all that, but there's lots of variations in mm -hmm. it. And when I looked at one of the research papers, it showed that they did brain scans. And when people were using their intuition, it showed that intuition hit the amygdala, which is the primitive part of our brain. Right. So that's the emotional control center. That's where we make our decisions. It's fight or flight, and there's no capacity for language. Right. So what that means is we define intuition in our own way. 
So if you think it's through prayer, excellent. If I see it as art and science, fantastic. If other people say it's gut, amazing. If you think it's just experience and learning, good on you. Because all those definitions are correct for you. Right. And that's really important to note. And so this was really good because now that makes sense as to why I couldn't find a definition. Mm -hmm. And then I was really uh, interested when Dr. Rathbone was saying that it ha happens much earlier than we actually think it does. And I found two research papers that show that intuition actually hits us on average seven to 10 seconds before we're actually going to make a decision or take an action. And neuroscience research now that's coming out, I've been told from a colleague that's as early as 29 seconds because the research methods have gotten much better. Mm. So let's just go with seven to 10 seconds because that's published. That's seven to se 10 seconds before you even make a decision that your intuition is boom. That's how quick it works. Right. And so I really need to figure out, okay, I kind of understand this now, but how does it actually work? And so I went out and interviewed over a thousand people. And when we looked at the signals for me were all over the place when it came to listening and ignoring my intuition, what I found out is there's actually two types of signals. There's the positive, there's positive signals. And those are the ones that tell you this is the right decision to take. And for me, it's, it was like a feeling of flow mm -hmm. uh, or I get the, the dots connect. Okay. And, and there was a CEO that I interviewed and he's now run two multi-million dollar businesses. And he sees this omen pop up on his right rear shoulder and there's no shape. There's no color. He just knows that it comes up and he knows that if he's doing a business deal or hiring someone or talking to a vendor, he'll say yes, because that moment pops up. And so the other the type are called negative intuitive signals. And so we've all been in a situation where we walk into a, a room or in a, something and we go, you know what, <laughs> something is off here. And so that's your subtle negative signal saying that you better back off. And so what happens with your negative signals, and Oprah calls this a whisper, is that, that it starts pretty subtle. And as you continue to ignore it, it gets louder and louder. And mm -hmm. so, you know, until you can't ignore them anymore. And so the ultimate signal for some is like a car crash or being bankrupt or trying to take their own life, which is the ultimate signal for them to say, okay, now, since then, I, they started appreciating what intuition is and these signals. And so where we have to be careful is that sometimes we all gravitate to this gut feeling or this voice. And so let's say be you and I do some homework on our intuitive signals, and we actually go and look at our past bad decisions. And you've done enough homework, you say that signal number one is that gut feeling. And so that's great. So every time that gut feeling comes in, that's your negative signal. Number one means that you should be backing away from that situation. Okay. If, if I make the mistake and let's say you and I are going for coffee and I say, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I get that. I get that gut feeling too. And if I make the mistake of thinking that's signal number one for me, but it's actually signal number three, then when that gut feeling comes up, I've missed signal number one and signal number two mm. because I don't know what they are. And so if I've missed those first two signals, I've made two bad decisions. So by signal, by signal, what do you mean exactly? Like, is it, cause I'm thinking, I actually just had a situation where my intuition was like screaming. Okay. I landed late in Tampa for a business mm -hmm. retreat. I was probably 10 30 at night. I ordered my Uber, the picture popped up and immediately in my brain, I went, nope, 
And that's it. Like, yep. that's all I heard was nope. Yep. And then I did the thing where I'm like, I can't judge this person based on a picture that's the size of, you know, my thumb and truly continued that it did like exactly what you're describing. It got louder and louder. I got in mm -hmm. the car anyway, had a very terrifying experience, not so much dangerous, but just very inappropriate and yep. suggestive in a way that I was very uncomfortable with. And then arriving at the hotel and sort of feeling like he knew where I was going or, and so it, it literally, it ruined my whole night because I couldn't sleep and I was just stressed. And then I felt like I couldn't ask for a different room. I mean, it was, it's almost ridiculous how we will sit there and reason with, you know, oh, you're being dramatic. And I don't know if this is more of a female thing. Cause you know, we do have to be more cautious when we're sort of yeah. moving at night and things like that. But so when you say like a signal, is that what you mean? Is like yeah, a word exactly. or a feeling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's that first one, that thing that, nope, I'm not doing it. And you never question the what ifs because mm. questioning the what ifs just got you into that situation. Right. right. And what's worse is that now you're in a closed environment and your signals are getting louder. And then it, you're kind of restricting yourself from getting away from that because if the car is moving, the Uber is moving. Oh, yeah. Like, what do you do, right? You're and not going to so, get out in the, in a strange city. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, pick your pick the worst of two evils at that point. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that you're probably looking for, maybe you're putting your keys in between your fingers or what have you to protect yourself. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can yeah. do. And, and for those listening, Uber and Lyft both have these emergency features on it. I mean, I had tools, but still, yeah. even with the tools, I still was telling myself like that I was being ridiculous or that. I needed to just kind of bear the discomfort. So it's a really good story in that I continued to get these signals. And this yes. was like a week ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah. And, and you don't worry about the judgment as much because your intuition is mm -hmm. always right. And, and there's no what if. And so if it looks like you're judging someone and somebody said something, okay, well, mm -hmm. that's just your opinion. You're protecting yourself. Uh, and okay. it could be that nothing happens, but you don't know, right? You just don't know. And that's why right. with these intuitive signals, I don't look at the what ifs. Right. And so that's why with the, with the negative signals, as I was saying earlier, like if I made that mistake, right. And let's say I got that gut feeling and I've made, I've missed those two bad, made those two bad decisions. It could be just me stubbing my toe or it could be headed towards bankruptcy. I just don't know. Right. right. And so the way that intuition really kind of works in a very simplistic sense for probably 99.9% .9 of people listening or watching is that it's like driving a car. And so when you drive a car, you push the button or you turn the keys and you get a whirring sound, which is your engine, which are your signals. And you just drive. Not too many people really want to pop open the hood to see the oil and the cylinders and all that stuff. You know, it doesn't matter, right? And right. I'm a bit of a nerd in that when it came to intuition, I needed to really kind of see, okay, let's pop open that hood and see how does it really work? And what I found is that there's actually four types of intuition that actually okay. work all together. Yeah. And they, when they work all together, they send you the signal. And the best way I can characterize how all these four in, uh, types of intuition work is actually through the eyes of a non-believer. Okay. And so one of my first interviewees was a fellow by the name of John Rothschild. Now this guy was an investment banker mm -hmm. where data and spreadsheets ruled every aspect of his life. Okay. So when I was looking at online research, and when you're talking about voices from God, manifestation, meditation, as sort of symbolic representations of intuition, he just says, yeah, you know what, Sunil, intuition does not exist. Mm. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I'll, I'm happy to give you an hour. We'll talk about intuition for the first five minutes and the rest of 55 minutes, let's catch up. I haven't seen you for a while. 
So I said, great. And so, you know, I'm taking my camera down to see him. And so I, I turn on the camera and I start telling him about the CEO that sees omens, right? And so I'm telling him that, you know, this, this CEO is going to run a couple of multi-million dollar businesses. And he says, yes, Neil, you know, I'd love to shake the hand of that C- that guy who, who sees omens or, you know, that but it, look, things in life are all about experience and learning. That's it. That's how you make decisions. And so now we're going to start getting into the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. Mm. And so if you look at your brain like an iceberg, the subconscious area is the 90% below water. Okay. The conscious part of the brain is the 10% above water. And so what happens is as soon as you're born, your neurons are soaking up all these experiences around you. And research is showing this five to 6,000 experiences per day for kids, young adults, and 28 to 35,000 per day for adults. And so every single day, every experience you have, both good and bad, the learning that you have, both formal and informal or street smarts, hurdles, failures, and the experiences of others every day are putting all this information into the library called your subconscious. That's what intuition is doing. Okay. And so the moment that you make a decision, and even if we look at your example, the moment that you popped open that picture, uh, there's a signal that says, I've seen something in your past where something is off. Mm-hmm. And so it's sending you a negative signal to say, back away, take something else. In the case of a positive signal, even though we have the fear, and we were talking about fear earlier, if it's a positive signal and you know it's a positive one, then your intuition is saying somewhere in your past, you've got the raw skills to take those steps forward. Yeah. And that's why it's giving you a positive signal, even though you're feeling fearful. And remember, we're at the amygdala here. We're at the primitive part of the brain. It all just knows trust, like run, fear. It, it's one word. It's just go or no go. It's binary. Yeah. And so that's how these signals kind of work. And so and with, in terms of experiential intuition, I was telling John, sometimes your intuition will have you go against the data. And mm. he goes, so that's really interesting, Sunil. I have an example of that. And I said, okay, please tell me what that example is. So John was in the business of putting franchise locations. And so if you put in like a McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, In-N-Out Burger, his company would use a benchmarking system out of 10. And okay. so a nine out of 10 meant that they put in a franchise location. They look at things like demographics, you know, they look at um, traffic patterns and development in that area. Mm-hmm. And there was this really crappy area of Toronto and he wanted to, he was looking to put something there and his team assessed it as a five and a half out of 10. Mm. And so there's no way that his team was saying, we're going to put one there. So now we're going to get into the second of the four called situational intuition. Okay. John and his partner, walk to that dilapidated area of Toronto and they just get a sense of that area. And he is saying something and he's now he's using something, perhaps intuition, something is telling me to put a location here. I don't know mm-hmm. what. And so he does. And they, and that location ended up being the first location for the beer market, which was the best portfolio restaurant chain in his whole portfolio that he had. Mm. And so now John's kind of getting it. He's kind of using the word intuition in his language. His, <laughs> his You can tell his body language is a lot more positive. Right. He's facing me a little bit more. And then he says, he was telling me that at some point his purpose changed. 
he no longer wanted to be an investment banker. He wanted to actually run a business. And so now we're going to get into the fourth, third of the fourth called relational intuition. Okay. What relational intuition does is that it filters people through to only allow those people who really care about you, who ha- who, whose intentions are to move your life forward, who are really there. They're not necessarily just, they're not yes people, but mm-hmm. they'll be with you for the ups and downs and you filter them inside. Right. It doesn't mean that you're completely cutting off other people right. and you're being respectful. You can still enjoy coffee with others and all that, but on the inner circle, your relational intuition is a huge filter. Yeah. And so for John, when his purpose changed, all the people that were concerned about money, fame, ego, high-end restaurants, private jets, security, limousines, all of them said he was nuts. Yeah. And not one of them bothered to ask him why. Not one, except his wife. And his wife asks, John, why do you want to do this? And he looks at her straight in the eyes, and now I'm quoting him. This just feels right. Mm. There's the intuitive signal, right? So 45 minutes before, John was saying intuition does not exist. Not only is he telling me about an intuitive signal, <laughs> he's also using the word intuition now. Right. And the fourth of the four uh, types is called creative intuition. And creative intuition uses all the other three and we take action, it tells you what decision is that you should be making. And so if you're doing things like making a sandwich or, you know, turning left at the signal, your creative intuition is pretty low. You know, it's pretty mundane stuff. But when you're making a decision that's really obtuse in nature, then your creative mm-hmm. intuition is high. And so in John's case, you would think that as an investment banker making three to $4 million a year and lots of years of experience, that his intuition would pick, you know, a business with healthy revenue streams, strong cash flows, and a good balance sheet. You would think so. But his intuition picks a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. Mm. And that's what he wanted to do. So he quit, started from ground zero, walked into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant. That restaurant ended up being Eastside Mario's location number one. And Mm. he grew Eastside Mario's to over a thousand locations. And in 20 years when he retired, $2 billion dollars in revenues all because From a restaurant that's it insane felt right wow yeah and that's the power of intuition wow that's incredible yeah i had and, and, yeah I, I did not know i mean you and i have talked and i'm still mind blown at how deep this goes with cuz i'm yeah. now doing a mental gymnastics inventory of like all of the times here recently where both the positive and negative intuition has pinged And like what you said is, you know, it's so funny that trip where I got in the Uber, I got a a feeling the week before that I should just rent a car. And I don't always do that. I'm actually quite comfortable traveling alone and I'm very comfortable getting in later at night. And, but for some, something in me was like, I probably should just rent a car. I've never been to Tampa. I've never been to where I'm going. But I didn't even realize that until you just said, until you broke all of that down. Yeah. And that's how complex it really kind of is. And so when people get this, these signals, you know, for those listening and those who haven't should be listening, but that's how complex it is. And so when you get those signals, it's rest assured that it comes with a lot of past knowledge, data, experience, because a lot of people think it's luck that gets coming from the car. It's just, woo there's not, there's no meat to it, right. but it's filled with everything that you need to make a decision. Right. You just have to do the homework to really kind of take action. And we were talking earlier about why we ignore it. 
And when we live in the past and when we put, push our values to other people, what happens is we don't necessarily listen to our intuition because we're not aligned with our values. And I'll, I'll give you a very good case study. One of the guys I interviewed was an international magician. His name's Vin Jang, very popular guy. And now he's moved into communication. And back in 2016, his career was on fire. He was entertaining 100,000 people a year, 80 mm. stages around the world. And his, he was saying that his intuition was nagging at him to say, look, you need, you're feeling great on the outside for extrinsic rewards you're crappy on the inside, you need to reset. Mm. And so he, even though everything looked so successful, he decided to go to New Zealand, told his wife, I got to do this for me. And he goes to a place where there's no cell phone service. And he puts up these values up on the wall of what he thinks that he should be. And he's staring at them. And he goes, well, that's funny. That's what my wife wants. That's what my child wants. That's what society wants. That's what my manager wants. This is what my bank account wants. This is right. what my career wants where am I? Yeah. Where am I in this? Yeah. And he takes them all down. He puts them back up based on the values he wants. And what he thought was very cathartic, very freeing was frightening. Yeah. And it was frightening because he's never, ever given himself, given himself permission to live his life. Right. It was always for other people. And so he, does that and makes a promise to himself that he's going to do that and leaves New Zealand to go back to LA and goes back to the same old again, high rise in LA, big brand names around the same people. Yeah. And six months later, his parents came up from Australia and his mother sets him aside. And he is saying that there's this saying in Vietnamese that when you hang around squid, you're going to get ink on you at some point. Yeah. And she said, you're hanging around way too many squid. This is not my boy. Right. And so he decides right then and there, his intuition says, you got to act. And so he gets rid of the, the apartment, goes out to the suburbs, decides if he wants to change a career, he's going to do it. If he has to start from ground zero, he's going to do it because he's doing it for him. Right. And so now he's realigned with his values. And one of the things I told him, and this is something I call opportunity cost, for Vin, I said, Vin, it's not just the six months that you lost you know, making the wrong decisions. It's also the six months that you could have gained making right. the right decisions. And so you've actually lost a full year of your life. Right. And if you're in the business of helping 100,000 people a year, how many people did you leave behind? How many people did you not help? Right. And he said, Sunil, I've never thought about it that way. And so that's why we fear. That's why it's, we think it's hard, but hard by whose rules? Right. How hard is it to live a life or your own dreams? I mean, why are we asking, what are they going to think? How does it look? Can I really do this? Because your intuition has answered all those questions for you. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, right? And so when you talk about tarot, the tags are all other people's tags. Yeah. Where's our tag? That's and if we have a tag, who cares about what other people think about it, what color it is, how big it is, what's the price is, whatever, you, however you think about a tag. Right. Who cares? Right. Right. But I think that, you know, it's such a good point because relationships have gotten to the point where we don't expect to have our own tags. And so we end up getting into relationships where, 
you know, maybe we're even inviting someone to put tags on us, or maybe Mm -hmm. we're enabling our children so much that they're sort of controlling the narrative around what we think we are or our parents or whoever, right? I mean, or whomever relationships are so complex. And, you know, like for me, before I discovered the tags and, you know, the concept that I work in every day, and you know, you're probably similar to me, like it's exhausting. Now, all I hear is labels, right? I can have a conversation and all I do is pick up labels that are being handed to people and exchange. And that's sort of how it works. You know, we're navigating through life and we're sort of picking up the crap that other people are leaving behind them unintentionally. And then that's a definition of who we are. And Mm -hmm. it's this collection of all these words. Meanwhile, we have no idea what our core center values are that really makes us tick. And it's, you know, this conversation is so interesting to me because, you know, I obviously teach people to tear out the tags, but that doesn't mean that tags are all negative. That means the ones that you're wearing that don't belong to you need to be removed. But there, there are so many good tags and there are tags that keep us safe. And our brain actually benefits by categorizing things and understanding things. And so, you know, I had to really sit with myself in my own messaging when I got home from that trip, because I was like, you know, I don't want to label people. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to learn and develop my understanding of different cultures and different races and different, you know, gender beliefs. And like, I want to be an open person who really is able to have conversations, even if I don't agree right? Even if I don't yep. believe in what you believe, I want to be able to have a conversation. But in that moment, I really was like sobered back to, okay, sometimes there's a need to label people and listen to that intuition and say, this person doesn't feel safe. And I don't necessarily have to say why or whatever it is, but it's such a complex idea in that, you know, I think that we've lost, I don't know. I don't know if this is fair to say, and I would love for you to argue with me Sure. But yeah. as we get older and we have more relationships and more experiences and our businesses and our books and our ventures and our homes and our neighborhoods and our churches and all of the things, it's like the voices are so loud around us that our intuition becomes like our intuition has to scream before we'll listen to it. It seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because we've allowed those voices to affect us, right? Mm -hmm. And if we go earlier, one of the things that intuition is fantastic about is picking up on the intention of others. Mm -hmm. And so when you get much better at trusting your intuition, and obviously, I, I, you know, for me, it's very quick, because I'm, I'm sort of in the intuition game, so to speak. Right. But everybody can get to that level. They just have to keep unfortunately practicing or get better at recognizing those signals and doing the homework, in fact, to do to kind of get those signals understood what are those inventories and then you quickly understand what the intention of other people are even if you don't see them like there's something about that person or that picture that is showing that's really turning you off and if you look at research is actually showing that to develop trust it only takes 14 seconds on mm-hmm. average 14 seconds and it's always on so even if you get into a relationship for example everything may be great on the honeymoon stage or even maybe everything may be good at the very start and then something changes in the other person, his or her values change. They're not trusting their intuition. And when that happens, you go, you stray way far away from your values that you don't know who you are. And you sometimes self-talk your way back into the relationship. No, yeah. he's going to change. She's going to change. Or they say something that triggers you emotionally. And then you right. kind of put yourself back in that situation. 
And one of the, the people I interviewed was somebody by the name of Sarah Prout. And Sarah was in a 10-year marriage, you know, 40 instances of physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And it was like a December 31st. She was about to, you know, have, there's an argument started about the movie that they were going to watch. She knew what was headed. So she just walks out and she just looks at the stars. And there's just a clear intuitive signal say, now's the time. I mean, how many times yeah. am I telling you? But now. Right. And her fear was there because... If she walks out, she had nowhere to live. She had two kids. Right. But the signal was so loud and she's, I'm going. Uh, and she trusted the sig- intuitive signals. And so she was homeless. She was $30,000 in debt. Uh, she had two kids picking up stuff on the side of the road for furniture. She was actually going into uh, public washrooms to steal soap so that she mm-hmm. can put them together for the kids to shower. But she trusted those signals every single day to make sure that one door of opportunity after another is going to open up. Right. And it, it, a, a few months later, she meets the love of her life on Twitter. Uh, a year later, they end up seeing if it's going to work. They get married. And six to six and a half years later, she starts a business on manifestation. Mm-hmm. And she's now a multimillionaire in that space. Oh, my gosh. So, and it's by trusting those signals every single day. And one of the misconceptions is that intuition sometimes leads you down the wrong path to teach you a lesson. And that's far from the truth. Intuition is always, always telling you what the best route is for you. Okay. All and right. So, I have yeah. a, I've yeah. got a tough question for you. And sure. I don't know yeah. that I'm even going to be able to formulate the question the way I want to. So I'm going to just okay. give it a whirl. Yep. So it, when it comes to tearing out the tags, mm-hmm. oftentimes we will take a dream or a goal and we'll like, roll it up into a tiny scroll and shove it to the lowest, darkest cavities of our bodies to be hidden Mm -hmm. for no one to see, right? Sort of like this, I've convinced myself I'm so unworthy of chasing this that I don't even want anyone to know about it because I don't really want anyone else to crush it any further. So I'm just going to hide it. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with new clients, we will be pulling up a lot of the tags that are stacked on top of that dream and sort of hiding it down below. And there's this So there's this initial reaction that most people have when they go to share that big dream, say it's, you know, starting a TV show someday or being featured by Oprah or speaking on Rachel Hollis's stage, like these big, massive dreams that people have, there's this instantaneous, oh no, I could never do that. And they know Mm -hmm. why they know exactly why they know exactly their indeficiencies. They know that they're not credible or that they're not worthy or whatever it is. And they seem so sure. And it seems like intuition. It seems like, no, I know who I am. And and I, I know because I work in the same field, what it takes to kind of pull those things off because what you and I do is actually, you know, fairly similar with slight differences, but how do you share that with someone where, how do you get them to see that that is not intuition? That's really just kind of a blocker or a wiring that they have inside of them. Like, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I often do, which is what intuition does anyways. So first of all, it's the fear that they haven't been able to do something. And 100% of the time when that fear comes up or that them not having confidence in themselves is generally because somebody else or another group has not had confidence in them in the past. And they've defined themselves by that statement or those parents or that group of friends, or maybe they don't feel worthy. And so what I do with each one of those people 
that I have is I go past to uh, go to a, an experience they've had in the past where they were able to be successful, break through barriers, go after, overcome a hurdle. And however minute it is, or however small it is, if you look at the wins that person has had based on what he or she has done, the wins are phenomenal, right? right. And if you look at what he or she has been able to accomplish, that's the exact skill set you need to get in front of Oprah or to make the relationships to create that TV show. And many of us just stop. We don't take action. And so even when I was talking to Sarah Prout about manifestation, she calls it sort of this sort of junk food manifestation where it's great to manifest and it's great to talk about it on social media. But if you don't take action, right, nothing gets manifested. Right. Right. And there have been times where exactly what you've detailed, where people have written something down on a piece of paper and they've tucked it away. Uh, in fact, I had one where he he knew he was a, a police officer and he was running a health food co company on, on the side and it was taking off and he had to make a decision uh, to leave the force and he wrote on a piece of paper, he was going to be on a certain stage as a speaker, he was going to be paid this much, he was his company is going to be, uh, he's going to make this much money a year later and there were a number of things on that piece of paper. He ro rolls it up and he puts it away and after after speaking on stage, he finds it. And he ends up finding that he was like a dollar away from where he wanted to be in his business. He was on that stage being paid what he was He said he would be paid without actually consciously saying, this is, I want this much money because it's on a piece of paper. Right. It just happened. But he was able to take actions to make that happen. Now, it all depends on how far you believe in manifestation. You know, I mean, if you look at John Rothschild, who's the who's now talked about intuition, but thought that you know spreadsheets and you still need data, experience, and learning, he might not think that a manifestation is a thing. But who cares, right? As long as he right, trusts he still the intuition, right, right. Well, yeah, and, and so I think he, what I hear so much through what you're saying is follow the want in your life because yeah. your intuition is leading you to the want, which is going to make you happy. It's yep. going to bring you joy. It's going to bring you positive relationships which then breeds the success. And, you know, you started, you know, we, with the four, the four professions four that you could yeah. have gone into. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. that is so common in our world. It's yeah. so common. And so many of us are living that life where, you know, we either went into that funnel of what we, we were supposed to go into, or, you know, we were actually like the business was created for us and we just went into like the family system or whatever that was. So, yeah. you know, I think that's what I'm hearing more than anything is we all have maybe wants that we didn't necessarily grow up with. And when you realize them, it's okay. It's okay to jump. It's okay to change paths. You know, pivot is the most common word in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. And it's okay to pivot. Absolutely. And, and your intuition is helping you pivot because, you know, it changes is going to happen. Right. And the one thing is intuition helps you open one door after a, another door. And you right. have to make sure that you do that. And as I was alluding to earlier, if we intuition never there is never there to take you through some bad experience, it will learn from your failures right. and put that in the subconscious of your brain. But it's basically when you ignored your intuition, that's kind of happened. I mean, you gave a story as well, but there was one that that I uh, want want to talk to about, which which is with Mark Metry. He has the Humans 2.0 podcast series, 
and he developed social anxiety and he felt that he needed to lie so much that in high school that he lost his ability to be him mm. and he wanted to take his own life. And so as he was telling the story, I was listening pretty intently and I told him, you know what, Mark, if we were to rewind the podcast interview, which I've obviously I've done, as soon as you start telling me that intuition leads you down the wrong path and trying to tell me that it was telling you to lie, you actually said right after that, I knew I shouldn't have lied, but, mm. and when he made that statement on my podcast show, intuition was sneaking there saying, don't blame it on me. Mm, interesting. And what I, yeah. And what he kept saying is that he needed to lie. He needed to lie. So he interviewed. So, so he, he ignored the, the, the signals and he felt that he needed to be part of a herd, part of a clique, part of the right. popular people when right. that wasn't him. Right. And he almost took his own life. And, you know, listen, fear is a real thing. Fear is a big thing. But what happens is you have two choices. Just like intuition is really binary. You can either take a step forward or take a step back. Right. even though intuition is telling you to take a step forward. And one of the guys I interviewed was a fellow by the name of David Dame. This guy had cerebral palsy all his life mm -hmm. in a wheelchair. And his dream was to actually just go on a beach. Somebody just lift him up and have the sand and water go through his toes. He gets that opportunity. He stands up and he falls flat on his face. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got fear. We've got embarrassment. We've got all these multiple tags, as you call it, now okay. filling his head. Right. And he was telling me, Sunil, I have two things I can do at that moment. The one thing is I can actually turn back, sit in my chair, and forever regret turning that dream into reality. I am right here. Or I can listen to that signal that's telling me, come on, David, take a step. David, take the next step. David, take the third step. And so he said, I'm going to trust my intuition started walking into the ocean and he gets to about where the water hits his chin level. And then he looks back and he's blown away by how far he has come. Wow. So you want to get on Oprah, you want to start a TV show, you want to do whatever you want to do. You take the steps to get there. You mm -hmm. make the relationships, carve your path, find the right people that are going to get you there. And it will happen if that's meant to happen for you. I love it. I feel like you're just talking to me. I'm, I'm like forgetting we have a whole audience listening and I know so many people are going to want to get in touch with you. So Sunil has developed a seven step process that will show you how to sharpen your intuition. Yep. So where can everyone go? Where's the best place to go to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to intuitionology.com. And uh, so there's the 70 challenges there. I can also give you, provide some links there. You get a free copy of my ebook as a reference. Yeah. And what I do with the seven day challenge is I actually get you to solve a problem that you have not been able to solve at all. And that's primary, that's a great place to start. And the reason I get you to start with this is because I get you to list all the things that didn't work. And when they didn't work, if you reflect on what you felt at the moment, these are your negative signals. And this is important to do at the start. And so what happens is once you've got that, then you try and look at the things that did work. Okay. And if you try and put in something that you're emotionally trying to put in a step that shouldn't be there, your negative signal is going to come up and go, ah, 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 Sunil, come on now. That's not a step you need to put in there. And so what you do is you take that step out and what you're left with is basically the steps that you need to do to solve that problem. Then you filter the relationships to figure out, okay, who's going to solve that problem? Is it a mentor? Is someone outside your circle? Is it your best friend? But if you try and emotionally bring your best friend in because it's really you, you're, it's sexy to do a seven-day challenge that intuitionology has, 
your intuition into your signal is going to say, you know, your best friend's not right for this problem. Right. And so then you have to obviously listen to the signal and then go to the right person that's going to solve that particular problem. Doesn't mean your, your right. best friend can't solve a problem. It's that for this problem, he or she can't solve it. Yeah. And then from that, then you move on to what environment do you change? And then you actually take action, which is a big one. And so I measure your intuition from the start and the fin and the, uh, day one and day seven. I've had close to 55,000 people now through the challenge. 100% oh of the oh. time. Yeah, 100% of the time, the strength, the, the intuition has gotten stronger. And I have on top of that, two people that actually go through each of the days with you with the tasks. Mm -hmm. The one is Jason Harris, who actually, John Harris, pardon me. He sold his home in the seven days. Uh, so day one, <laughs> he had this, uh, this realtor that comes in and just badgers in and says, you can only get $20,000 on their asking price. That's the market. I know if you don't sign here, I'm going to walk away. And he used to say, oh my God, you're so right. I'm going to sign. And his intuition was saying, I don't trust her. There's something about her I don't trust. Mm. And so in day seven, he ends up selling his house for, he had a bidding war and it was $50,000 over asking price. So that's a $70,000 decision. Oh, that. yeah. That's 10 grand a day, which is fantastic. I would take that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the other person was, her name's Ashley Michelle. She was actually a witness to a homicide. Not only was mm -hmm. she a witness to a homicide, she actually walked into the apartment after her boyfriend had just murdered their best friend in the bathtub. Oh my he, God. He locks the door behind her, locks it all up, puts a knife to her back and says, I'm already going away for one murder. Might as well make it two. You're next. Her intuition calms her down. Her intuition calms him down and watches him. He ends up assaulting her, choking her. She broke a couple of blood vessels in her neck. She was, she was asked to clean up the blood. And her intuition waited and waited. And it found a moment for her to escape. And it said, run. And she listened to that signal, got up, bolted, unlocked the door, ran 18 flights upstairs down the apartment building and called 911 and obviously lived to tell the story. And Jeez. she joined the seven-day challenge because she was so afraid to leave her apartment. And she suffered from PTSD, depression, anxiety. Oh, yeah. And what the seven-day challenge did for her is it didn't get rid of it. It minimized it. But after the seven days, she learned that she can go back to the gym. And when she went to the gym, that was when she felt really peaceful. Her emotions were really kind of settled. She found herself again. And she was also learned, able to learn to trust people. Yeah. Again, you know, and finally go jogging and finally do things rather than yeah. stepping out of her apartment, looking left, right, and, you know, really living in terror. Yeah. And so, and that confidence grows bit by bit. Yeah. You know, people think, oh, I'm self conscious or I'm insecure. Well, confidence isn't like a switch, it's something that we layer on top. And, you know, as we kind of, it's like a waxing thing, it grows and grows until we arrive there in a confident place. And yeah. I think there are categories of confidence as well. So I love that story. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, you are such no a joy. Problem. And I will tell you, I'm headed over to intuitionology.com to take the seven day challenge. So Excellent. you guys should all join me over there. Thanks, Danielle. Excellent. Thank you.